to be together tonight to worship. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. If you wouldn't be, open your Bibles to Matthew, the fifth chapter. We'll continue in just a few minutes uh, with our series that we've been looking at throughout January and now throughout most of February on Sunday evenings. It's wonderful to think of the many ways that God has blessed us, and not that financial is the most important by any stretch of the imagination, but when we realize that the finances that God gives us is a tool to be used to His service and to His glory, it's wonderful to be reminded of the good stewardship of this congregation and the generosity uh, that that tool is used. And let's make sure that we're constantly generous Uh, For the sake of that is what God wants us to do. I hope none of us ever look at a budget to decide our contribution. The Bible teaches us to look at what God has given us and to give as we have been prospered in a generous way. And, And I look forward, and I believe it's April that we've slated to study stewardship. And again, it has nothing to do with the budget. It's to think about God's responsibility that He places upon our shoulders to be wise with everything that He gives us. I look forward to that study. As we think about the good that has, has taken place today, just today, it has been amazing. And we're thankful for each one that has helped at the Mount Juliet Healthcare. We're so thankful for our young ladies serving Christ. I know our young soldiers serving Christ also met this afternoon and they're preparing to lead a worship service for their parents very soon. And we're thankful for them uh, to see the young ladies and the meal that they helped prepare and that they served. It was just delightful. And to see the widows and widowers and be able to visit with them is always a treat. And then tonight following service, the newcomer's mixer is always enjoyable. It's wonderful to get to know each other better. Let's make sure that we all continually find our place in the Lord's body. One of us can't do everything. God didn't design it that way. He doesn't want it that way. But let's make sure we find our place. Where is it that God gives us an opportunity to use the abilities and the gifts that He's given us? And then let's do it uh, to the best of our ability and give Him all the glory along the way. As we think about the spiritual renewal and recovery... And we've been asking now for about seven weeks, are you open to growth? The challenge throughout January and hopefully will continue throughout our life is, are you really, really wanting to grow? Do you want to be more like what God has designed you to be in your life? And we've been looking at the Beatitudes to see this study. And on this next slide, you see a quick review of where we've been for several weeks. As we think about the first Beatitude of Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the idea of realizing I'm not God. I, I can't do it. I, I give up on myself. I've tried to run my life and I ruin my life. And so I can't do it. But second, God can. And we looked at blessed are those that mourn. In other words, the mourning is representing repentance here. We're turning away from self and we're turning to God. We are sorry for our sin. I can't, but God can. And so we put it over in God's hands. The third beatitude we looked at was let him. In other words, blessed are the meek. This is where we hand the reins over. God, I'm going to hand my life over into your control. I trust you. I'm willing to be your servant. Number four change me. The righteous appetite, when we think about blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, God wants to literally change us. And what a wonderful beginning, if you will, to that change to say, I want to love what God loves. I want to hate what God hates. I want to have a hunger 
for righteousness, for God. And I want to turn my face, I want to turn my back on the things of Satan. But then also he says, the change is going to be inside out. Blessed are the pure in heart. To truly have a heart that is pure will then reflect a life that is pure. We are never successful to try to change the outside, to try to change the conduct first and hope that some way that affects the heart. God simply didn't design it that way. And then we looked at the fact that when we make this change, we want to come away from there looking like Him. And one of the ways we do that is, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. By nature, we wouldn't have that kind of graciousness that we would offer to someone else to be merciful. But we do that because we've learned it from God. But then what we want to do is we want to endure. Tonight, we'll look at the last beatitude, giving permission to come back next week and swinging back and catching one that we spent very little time on, and that was the peacemakers. But tonight, we want to think about endurance. The Lord did not design this Christian life. If we think about growing, are you ready to grow? He didn't design this Christian life to just be a sprint, to be a short walk or even a casual walk. The Lord designed it to be an endurance race. He designed it to be something that we would be tested. We will find out. What are we made of? And as we think about that, we also think about the question, do you want to grow? Tonight, we're looking at the growth choice. What if we said the growth choice was tied directly to persecution, to suffering? Then I guess all of us from a fleshly standpoint would have to admit it's not nearly as appealing. But yet, if it is God's plan, shouldn't we find the goodness in it? And so tonight, I not only want to convince you from the Scriptures that we should be willing to suffer, but as strange as this may sound, if you've never studied this topic in depth, I want to convince you from the Scriptures tonight, to a degree, we ought to welcome suffering. We ought to find an amount of joy in it. Because friends, someone that's not been tested cannot endure Someone who has not gone through some suffering cannot endure because it is the trials that builds our faith. So with that in mind, I'd like for you to look with me at Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 10, 11, and 12, and read our text for tonight. As we see the setting, usually the Beatitudes have been taking one verse, but with the last one, it's as if Jesus gets on this one Beatitude and says, I've got to say it in another way. And then I want to say it one more time in another way. And so notice this in 10. We begin as always, blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now again, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. See, He had to take it, if you will, a step further in emphasis. Not just say blessed for the third time. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As we think about this, it's interesting that he does begin each time with that word blessed. And then he describes some kind of persecution. Do you think that it truly is a blessing? That is a deep inner peace and joy whenever you suffer because you've done the right thing. How many times have we thrown up our hands and said, I don't deserve that, I've done nothing wrong. And the Lord would say, exactly. You're suffering for righteousness sake. And then notice, he goes ahead and talks what some of that might be. 
What about when people revile you? What about when people speak evil against you falsely? And how many times would we throw up our hands and say, they can't say that about me. This is no fair. Why would God allow this to happen? Now think of those words, how strange that is. God said, blessed when that happens. In other words, it's going to happen. And you ought to see it as a blessing when it happens. Why are you throwing your hands up and saying, they're talking lies about me? They can't do this. Surely God wouldn't allow this to happen. And you know what God's saying? I wanted to give you an opportunity to grow. God doesn't bring the lies into our life, but God's also not going to stop them because He wants to give us the opportunity to grow. Listen, we're not the first ones that's walked this path. That's why He says there in verse 12, the prophets before you, they've suffered these very same things. Tonight, I really need to give some serious thought. Do I want to be a strong Christian? Strong Christians grow to that point, and the growth to that point, in part, is through suffering. With that in mind, I also want to just kind of lay out on the table an interesting fact. If it's the suffering part that's kind of holding you back, where, you know, at a crowd this size, there's probably somebody thinking, I, I don't really know if I want to sign up for Christianity. If, if it really is this kind of suffering and that's what helped you, I don't. So if that's kind of where you are, you also need to be made aware of something else. It doesn't matter if you sign up for Christianity or not, you're going to suffer. You're on earth. This is not heaven. Everybody on earth is going to suffer. And so we can either suffer as a Christian reaping the harvest of a sinner on this earth and for eternity, or we can reap the suffering of a Christian on this earth and for an eternity. So is it reap as a sinner or reap as a Christian the suffering? To make this real clear, let's go to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, and look with me, 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. We see an interesting writing here at the end, which, by the way, if I can manage the time right, we're going to end back up here at 1 Peter, the fourth chapter tonight. But because much of 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, is about suffering. And, and if this topic interests you and you want to study it deeper, the fourth chapter of 1 Peter is a wonderful chapter to study this one topic deeper. And so we'll just pull out some highlights, but as we do that, I'd like for you to look in verse 15 and 16. 1 Peter, uh, we're going to drop right toward the end of the chapter just to make this point. Everybody's going to suffer. Look, look what Peter said. We're in 1 Peter, uh, the, the fourth chapter, and we'll read verse 15 and 16. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So see, the plea is, don't suffer as these sinners. In other words, these sinners are going to suffer. If you know your scriptures, you know Galatians 6 and 7. You can't be deceived. God's not mocked. Think about that. Don't be fooled about this. If you think you're going to make God look silly on this, God's not going to come out looking silly on this. What is He going to say? Whatsoever a person sows, that must they also reap. You sow sin, you will reap suffering. And so now he's, he's looking to a group of Christians. He says, sure, we're going to suffer. Just make sure you don't suffer as a sinner. Don't suffer as a busybody. You know anybody in your workplace that they suffer? 
because they constantly gossip about people. They constantly bring the showers of disruption in their life. They constantly have people that don't like them because they're busybodies. You got somebody like that in your family? You have somebody like that in your neighborhood? You see, they suffer. Why? They suffer because they're a sinner. A murderer that's incarcerated right now, in, 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 why are they suffering that incarceration? Because they've sinned. And they're suffering that. Various sins may have various kinds of suffering. But the point that Peter is making is, why not suffer as a Christian? Because notice the end of verse 16. If you suffer as a Christian, now this is powerful. Number one, you don't have to be ashamed of that. And number two, you can glorify God in this matter. You remember at the beginning of this lesson I said, I want to share with you from the scriptures of some of the positive aspects of suffering? Number one, it gives you and I an opportunity to glorify God. That's what God said. The way we handle the suffering, we can glorify God by the way we handle it. Let's go to this next slide, and I just want to quickly mention to you three other things that, about suffering that we ought to start looking at it from a little bit different slant, maybe a big difference in the way we've looked at it in the past. Instead of just immediately thinking, anytime pain comes into my life, remember what our, our minister Bud Lambert, remember what he tells us over and over? It hurts to hurt, but it's not bad to hurt. That's what I'm wanting you to see in the Scriptures tonight. The Lord says, sure it hurts. That's why I call it suffering. But it's not a bad thing to hurt. Quit quit falling apart whenever you hurt. Quit throwing in the towel whenever you hurt. Instead, and, and Peter says, hurt and glorify me while you're hurting. And then think about the beatitude we just left. He didn't say, pitiful are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Think about the definition of love in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. The very beginning of the definition, it begins in verse 4, the definition does. And the very first place he starts is he says, love suffers long and is kind. Isn't that interesting? I say, I want to fulfill the first and second greatest commandment in my life. I want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to love my neighbor as myself. And the Lord says, okay, so you're signing up. To suffer long. Friends, whenever we suffer for righteousness sake, we are fulfilling the first and second greatest commandment. And then notice the the third thing on this slide, but the fourth thing we're mentioning, and that is this morning, the study of the fruit of the Spirit. When we are walking in the Spirit, when we live our life in the Spirit, we've crucified the flesh, we are now Christ. What's going to be the result? Love joy, peace, long-suffering. Depending on which translation you're reading, it may say patience. Friends, where's all the negative stuff about suffering? In the flesh, we think it's horrible. But yet when we live in the Spirit, the Lord would say, oh, now you have an opportunity to glorify me through it. Now you have an opportunity to be blessed. Now you have another opportunity to show love. Now you have an opportunity to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. 
Friends, I know when we study it like this, it can sound so pretty. And when we experience it, it's a little different. But right now, will you meditate upon the fact to say, I truly want to look at suffering the way God looks at suffering. It's not that we want to go out and, and create suffering and, 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 and look for ways to suffer. But surely it's the fact that all of us can see that from the Scriptures, God is trying to get you and I to see something about suffering that is beautiful. It's building. It's glorifying. It's blessed. It's love. It's the Beatitudes. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So with that in mind, I ask you this. Since you know that you're going to suffer, the question is... How are you going to respond to that suffering? When we read James, the first chapter, verse 2, 3, and 4, we see the way God wants us to respond to this suffering. James 1, 2, 3, and 4. And the Bible is in your pew. It's on about 1,073. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, you see, now that we've studied the things the last few minutes, it's not really a shock. And, and, and maybe, do you remember a time in your life where maybe you read James 1 and 2 and it says, count it all joy when you fall in various trials. And, and you remember that time where maybe you read that and you thought, I'm, I'm not seeing what God means here. How could anybody count it joy to be in trials? But then we look at all these other passages and we see where it's a way to glorify Him. It's a way to show our love. It's a way to be blessed. It's a way to have the, the fruit of the Spirit produced in our life. Then we say, okay, I may not be joyful about the pain itself, but I'm joyful now that I have an opportunity to glorify God. I'm thankful I have an opportunity to grow. Lord, I, wanna, I want to know the joy in fulfilling your love. Remember, we're shattering the mirrors out in front of us and we're going to accept the love of the Lord and we're going to show it. That's how we go into trials. We show the love of the Lord. But notice the second thing in this as we say, how are you going to respond to it? Are you willing tonight to respond to it knowing it is a test? And notice you and I didn't make up that word. That's what the Lord says there. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. How many times, if, if back in school, and I know for some of you that's going to be a stretch of a memory, and for others, obviously, it's just like yesterday almost. But now I want you to remember, back in school, when maybe you had a project, or maybe you had what you thought was a homework assignment, but you definitely didn't think it was a test. And so maybe you just kind of half-heartedly did it, and then the teacher took it up and graded it as a test. And how many students said, wait, you didn't tell us it was a test. In other words, the implication is, if you would have told us we were tested on this, we would have gotten serious about it. We would have done our best at it. Do you realize that that's what James is trying to tell us, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He's talking about suffering, and he says, I need to tell you, the way you handle suffering, it's a test. It's going to test your faith. Friends, how do you want to stand on the day of judgment? Faithful 
Well, then we have to be faithful when our faith is tested on this earth. It's for real. It's a test. And since we know it's a test, we will naturally now put our best foot forward. We'll now say, all right, let's get with it. Let's be what God wants us to be. So how are we going to respond? With that in mind, I'd like to, for you to turn back to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. And we're going to close this lesson by asking this question about suffering. Are you ready? And if you notice on the slide here, we cover much of this chapter, and so we don't have time in this lesson to cover all these things. So I want us to simply pull out a few highlights, spend the most time on the first one, and then just a few highlights. How can you be ready for suffering? Well, 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, he tells us some powerful things that could prepare us so that we're not caught off guard and we can be ready. The first thing that we see, and if you have your Bibles open, it's 1078 and the Bible is in your pew. Look at the fourth chapter. We're going to read verse 1 and 2. I'd like for you to notice the word arm. It's the idea like if I said to you right now, hey, we may be in danger uh, physically, are you armed? And and maybe you, you, you point to the pistol and you say, I'm armed. All right, the question now is you're going to be tested in faith. Are you going to be able to fight Satan? Because one of the weapons that Satan loves to use is he loves to pull out the weapon of suffering. I want to shoot that person and watch. Ah, now they have some suffering in their life. Look, look, that's perfect. They're blaming God. Look at that. Look, they're throwing in the towel spiritually. Great, they turned their back on God. Let me reload. I'm going to shoot someone. Look, there's a weak Christian over there. Let me shoot them. Look, they've got a lot of suffering in their life. That was a big loss. Yep, they're throwing in the towel. You can imagine how Satan loves the weapon of suffering because a lot of people, they immediately blame God. They immediately say it's not fair. Isn't that strange when everything in the Scripture says you're going to suffer and it can be used for wonderful growth? It can be used to God's glory but we're caught off guard. And so Peter writes to say, I want to give you a weapon so that when Satan pulls his weapon out of suffering, arm yourself with something that can take down that temptation. Here's what he says in the fourth chapter 1 and 2. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. Talking about arm yourselves with the same mind of Christ. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, it's empowering to us to know that the next time I suffer, I'm not going to give it up. I'm going to remain faithful. Why? Because I'm going to arm myself with the mind of Christ. What was the mind of Christ? It's worth it to suffer. There's too much at stake to give up. Somebody says, why are you continuing? Do you realize what I would lose? Jesus Christ came to this earth and he suffered. Why? Because he thought souls were worth it. And now the question is, are you going to endure? Do you believe that your soul is worth it? Do you believe that your relationship with God is worth it? And so he says, arm yourself with that mindset that says, Satan, I'm going to disable one of your most powerful weapons. And that is the weapon of suffering. Because if you bring it into my life, it's not going to turn me away from God. If anything, 
when you bring it into my life, I'm going to grow closer to God. Now, not really off subject because it's right here in the next two verses we're going to read. But for just a moment, I want you to pretend that it's morning, this morning. And we're back in the lesson this morning. And I want you to think where we are here of the person of the flesh that crucifies the flesh and instead lives a life of uh, uh, where we're one with God, we're, we're Christ, we're living in the Spirit, our walk is in the Spirit. When we decide to leave the flesh... And we walk over here and we arm ourselves with suffering where whenever we suffer, we don't give up, we don't give in. We've turned our back on a lot of things. And you know what always comes along with those things? People. Past friends. And you know, sometimes that creates a part of our suffering. And it's interesting here how Peter addresses when that becomes part of the suffering. Let's look at this in verse 3 and 4. See, now this person's living by the will of God. In other words, they're over here. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. Or in other words, doing the will of the heathens, living a life of sin. When we walked in lewdness, in lust, in drunkenness, in revelries, in drinking parties, and abominable idolatries... So see, he gives the, a part of the list of the works of the flesh. And he says, I've spent enough of my time there. I'm moving. I'm going to another life. But notice what's going to happen. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dispensation speaking evil of you. What about those friends you've left behind? Now you're living a new life. And they, they think you've lost your mind. What do they do? They begin to speak evil of you. Now what are we back to? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those when they revile you and speak evil of you. Why would people speak evil of a Christian? Well, oftentimes, new Christians are spoken evil by some of the people that they thought were their best friends. Why? Because that Christian has made a change that either one, they don't understand, or two, they think if they attack them enough, they'll come back to them. That kind of suffering. How can that young Christian be ready for that? Like any of us, arm yourself with the mind of Christ. Know that the suffering is coming and look for opportunities to give God the glory and to see it as a blessing. But as we move this toward a close... Not only be armed, but number two, expect it. Look at verse 12. Same chapter here, 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. You see how blunt Peter is? So you've gone through a great suffering and you're ready to throw up your hands and say, I can't believe God would do this to me. And Peter's kind of like shaking your shoulders till, till you finally zip your lip long enough for him to say, what, you think you're special? What, are you some spoiled brat Christian that thinks that even though everybody else on the earth has sufferings, you're going to be the one child of God that doesn't have any sufferings? You know, as strange as that sounds when we say it, who would think that? Who would think they're going to be the only Christian in the world that doesn't have suffering? Still, that's our reaction a lot of time when we suffer. I, I'm caught off guard. 
I wasn't expecting it. I don't know if you know this, but I never played pro football. I, I really didn't. The truth is, I did not even play college football or even high school football. But I played a lot of backyard football. Not to say that's any better or anything. I'm just saying, I did do that a whole lot. And I know one thing. I know that when you're blindsided, it hurts really, really bad. And when you're 17 or 18 years old in backyard football and you're blindsided with with no pads, you feel it the next day. And you may even feel it for the next week. And you may feel it as you're going to the emergency room. And... You know, if, if, if any of you saw Colt McCoy get injured, did you notice how he's blindsided? Did you notice that play? He was running this way, the gap closed, and he immediately turned this way, not seeing the defender right behind him. What did it do? Knocked him out of the game. Why? Injuries occur when people are blindsided. What is Peter saying right here? Peter is simply saying, hey, I'm telling you, Suffering is coming. Don't think it's strange. Don't say, whoa, that caught me off guard. You know, if I would have just known it was coming, I would have remained a faithful Christian. Tonight, not to be a downer, but to be faithful. Are you ready? It's coming. Some of us are in the midst of it right now. And if you aren't, The suffering is coming. You will have a morning that you wake up, and by the time you go to bed, you will have believed your world has fallen apart. You will hear news that you never expected in your life. You will hear something that your heart will never feel exactly the same again. Right now, what's your answer going to be? Lord, I'm not going to think it's strange. You told me. You told me it was coming. And Lord, I want to be prepared for it. So in 13, he tells us to learn to rejoice in it. And in verse 16, we've already read that he wants us to glorify God in it. And we extend the invitation by reading verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God, commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. You're going to suffer. He says, suffer doing the will of God. Well, who can do that? And He says, it's for those who commit their souls to God's will. You know... Charlie Daniels, many years ago, made famous a song about a young man that gambled his soul down in Georgia. Every one of us needs to make a decision of what we're going to do with our soul. It kind of sounds strange to say, doesn't it? You make a decision what you're going to do with your soul, but that's exactly what Peter says. Peter says, in view of suffering, are you ready tonight to commit your soul to the will of God. In other words, it doesn't matter how bad it hurts. It doesn't matter what the suffering is. Tonight, I am committing my soul to the will of God. Satan, I do not want to turn my back on God just because you've brought pain into my life.
commitment. In its root, it literally means to make a deposit. I've placed my soul in the will of God. And come what may, that's where I'll stay. Tonight, there's not a person here perfect. But surely all of us can be on a path of growth. So today, tomorrow, next week, next month, when the pain comes, let's see it in a way maybe that we've never seen it before as an opportunity to grow, as an opportunity to glorify God, as an opportunity to feel blessed, to see joy, and to see that the fruit of the Spirit is actually being produced in our life. I don't think after we've studied today's lessons that anybody here would say the Christian life is the easiest life to live. It's not. We don't extend an invitation saying, come the easy way. But the things that matter most in life are hardly ever easy. But we do extend the Lord's invitation today for the right way, the best way, the gracious way, the way of salvation that's offered by our Lord. And tonight, if you've never been immersed into Christ for the mission of your sins, why not tonight begin that journey? That would be the greatest journey you've ever begun. Maybe you've begun that journey and along the way, maybe it was suffering, maybe it was pain. Whatever it is that, that's hindered your path, maybe tonight you're ready to come back and say, I give my soul back to God. I commit my life back to God. And if we can help you with that, come as we stand as we sing.